Hello and welcome to another edition of the Formula One Fans UK podcast. I'm Reese, and I'm joined today by... By Tim. Yep, it's just the two of us, the lads from Essex, although one of us betrayed his route to move to Scotland. Uh, I'm just giving, as I said previously, I'm just giving the Formula One Fans UK podcast a wider demographic. Yes. What the uh, podcast team lacked was white British people. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. The, um, the Belgian Grand Prix happened. Um, that's one way of describing it. It happened. Um, the sprint race also happened and was much more entertaining. Starting with the sprint race, sprint qualifying. The format works, okay? It's entertaining. Lance Stroll still bins it, so it's not that different to normal Formula One. The only f- different thing about the sprint race is that Fernando Alonso did not score points, Tim, did he? Because he... Uh, he also he bins it. it. He, he had a Spinella. But he also bins it, yeah. Poor day for Aston Martin. Um, I think they'll be much happier with how the Grand Prix went, and that's obviously that's the one that pays out more of the points than the sprint race. But yeah, it was a bit of a sprint race. was good fun, wasn't it? Um, I don't know how anyone in their right mind can say that the sprint practice, sorry, the sprint qualifying is worse than a, than a practice-free session. Edge of your seat moments, even, even with the situation of Max getting the pole on the on the Friday for the main event, there was right until the last moment of qualifying, I thought Piastri was getting a, a sprint pole position, which was just yeah. bonkers. If, if I said that to you six weeks ago after the Canadian Grand Prix, for example, when they were nowhere McLaren's lower half of the pack, you'd have said bonkers. They're not even in a wet condition, they're never going to get front row of a grid, and there we are. Well, yeah, that's that's exactly it. It was uh, absolutely stunning from Piastri in the wet conditions. It really suited the setup they went for this weekend. And considering you only had one practice session and that was wet, you really had to, you know, make a, a judgment call on what was going to work. Um, I mean, you look at Mercedes; they went for two very different strategies in, in terms of how they set the car up. Russell had a very uh, draggy setup, whilst Hamilton had a very low drag setup. But McLaren, I think it was brilliant brilliant uh driving it was a bit shame for lando the fact that he was the second mclaren so he of course had to take the uh the pain of the lap two pit stop rather than the lap one pit stop yeah it was interesting that wasn't it because it did end up that all 10 teams bought in one car and i know that it was suggested by some people that that was an agreement amongst the teams to only pit one car at a time but i can't see teams ever agreeing to that if if there's enough cars in a pit lane, we saw at Hungary a few years ago where 19 cars pitted ahead of a race restart. I know it wasn't a safety car restart or a rolling restart, but it was a race restart. And um, they, must, they, must, they must have worked out that the deficit of having to queue behind your teammate and wait for those few seconds added to the chance of having to wait for other cars to pass through the pit lane must have not been worth it. Well, you see, I feel like that was probably the, the case for most most things and also the space double stack but i feel like williams could have got away with it being at the end of the pit lane yeah as they did in hungary as to say a couple of years ago and alex albon went from was it 19th to second Do you mean george <laughs> russell joy george russell wasn't he yeah in the williams yeah, it was that long ago <laughs> yeah yeah it was um it was a, a very entertaining sprint race and in the race itself um obviously oscar got the advantage of those tyres. I think Max was in a lose-lose situation there. If he'd have pitted, maybe not everyone would have stayed out, but 
he would have definitely have had to have waited for something the queue to come past him leaving his pit box where they are as the first pit box in the pit lane he would have had to have waited for everyone not just for two or three of the cars and it was brilliant work from the mechanics of the McLaren as well 2.3 seconds that stop was for Piastri and it got him out ahead of that Ferrari which meant he didn't have to wait for the Ferrari to go past him before box. yeah it was close but it was brilliant um I think the one thing that hurt Piastri was on his outlap he started to catch that traffic that traffic, yes, traffic of um, the slower wet tire cars in front I think it was Joe that he was catching up with yeah um he did have that then again, it kind of all got wiped out by the safety car anyway, didn't it, for Alonso spin? Yeah, uh, however good it was, it was always going to be ruined by a, a safety car. He, he could have yeah. been so far out, it, it, it wouldn't make a difference because the safety car, and I mean, he did make a bit of a, I think he kind of botched that restart a little bit, but I think at the same time he knew he was defenseless, defenseless to Max. Yeah, I, I think if Max wasn't going to get him on lap one, he would have got him on lap two of the restart or lap three of the restart, especially with the length of the circuit at Spa. It might have been, if he'd got further ahead, that Max might have got him on the run-up through Blanchimon at the end of that first lap. I, I really didn't see Piastri holding on to it once that safety car came out. But yeah, I'd say, I mean, Piastri was definitely the star of the sprint race. Uh, yeah. You know, um, the first two sessions of the weekend, you know, the ones that, that mattered something, that his yeah. first two compared to two sessions, the two qualifying, he, he definitely improved for the second. And the, the conditions definitely showed that what happened in qualifying and the sprint qualifying really did set you up for the race um you could see who was going to struggle in the race just comparing their sprint and uh yeah well and also, also comparing their rear wings just visually as well for example lewis hamilton's was very very skinny low downforce and um esteban ocon's as well actually it was pointed out on the grid just before the main race how much narrower his was than the uh, mclaren's as well i think mclaren if, if it had rained on the sunday in the same level, even if it had happened halfway through the race to the same level that you'd had the start of the sprint race or the qualifying sessions, then I think McLaren would have had a really good chance, you know. I, I, yeah. I even think they could have reeled potentially Max back in. Well, one McLaren would have had a good chance. Of course, yeah. Because, because yeah, going out. Um, while we're mentioning you're... the mixed conditions, personally, there has been a lot of talk about obviously the delayed sessions. For the delay sessions, I thought that was a good, smart call. Yeah, and I think that the track conditions were right for driving based off the fact it was Spa. I didn't have an issue with that. My only actual issue is that the FAA goes right, the track's ready to go. If the drivers have been in their car and they've only been in their car for, what, 10 minutes or so from when they were told they are originally going to start... Why does it need another 10 minutes to get, to well, get the going? Uh, there's obviously reasons behind it. It's got to be for everyone. Everyone's ready. It's not just the drivers. It's got to be marshals ready. It's got to be everyone ready, uh, which I get. Probably, you know, some fans might be making their way back to their seats from undercover positions. I, I don't know. Maybe that's the reason behind it. I think the uh, the stranger thing that the FIA did was um, they took wet tyres. What, they made it mandatory to have wet tyres, do you mean? Every time they sent them out on the actual wet tyres, it was intermediates. It was so, intermediate so you're saying conditions. It's, it's strange that the FIA ma- made it mandatory to have wet tyres. They took wet tyres to an event, and even some of the drivers said, well, what was the point in having them? Because by the time we got into racing or going out and on qualifying or whatever it was, it was intermediate conditions. They weren't going to use the wet tyres in full wet conditions because the spray would have been too much that they wouldn't have been able to race anyway. So you mean it's in bringing wet tires to the weekend? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I have to agree with you that wet tire is just 
a dud right now and it, it's it's not the first time that we've brought this up either with it um with it, japan last year you had a couple of people come straight into the box for inserts straight after the safety car pulled out and even the leader i think max was only that two or three in that shortened race yeah it's something that f1 has to investigate and to give them credit they have been investigating it because they did a unsuccessfully a so far unsuccessfully so far but at least they acknowledge that the spray is an issue and that they need a solution to it. So, so for those who don't know, they did a wet ty- a wet test weather. at Silverstone where they wet the track manually, I guess you would call it. Yeah, they did the Bernie idea and threw sprinklers on it. <laughs> <laughs> big, wa- big water trucks like they did in pre-season testing when these um, cars first came into um, sort of practice oh, yeah, in so 2017. Yeah. They, that's but the uh, they soaked the track at Barcelona. They did the same again. Not like you need to in this English summer. The one thing we've not lacked is rain. But still. Yeah, they found the only dry day in July to, to do that test on. <laughs> oh, it's been awful this weekend. Anyway, so what they also had in that test is they had effectively deflector covers over the tyres, over over the front of the wheel arches. And, they and the rear, well, the rear of the arches. They put behind the tires. They put these little, um, like say, yeah, deflector sort of things to try and put put the spray away. And whilst we don't know if that was successful, the the issue that it brought up was how much spray actually came from the uh, from the underside of the cars instead, the floor, and how much that generates. Maybe that's the way to stop Red Bull is to make everyone have the same floor and then uh, <laughs> like, and a floor which doesn't drag up a load of water. Do you mean a Williams floor? That was a rocket ship in the dry, wasn't it? When he went past Norris and was it Gasly on the same street? <laughs> oh, it was wonderful. I was strangely, di- I don't know if it's right to feel this way, but I was disappointed by Williams this weekend. I expected more. I think it was more because of the deg um, that they, they struggled. I really thought they were going to have a good weekend, um, knowing how slippery that car is and how, how well it does on these high-speed tracks. Yeah, so James Vowles did a review of the weekend which I did catch and he said it was quite frustrating because every time they made a decision about a setup or every time they made a decision about a tyre choice or a time to go out there he said that almost in every session something went against them and they knew that they had more pace in their car but it was actually the unpredictability of the weekend just completely threw them every time they thought they were getting somewhere so I think they are probably a realise it's just a missed op- much as missed opportunity of the rest of us because even in the wet we know Alex mm. can drive a bit in the wet so yeah uh, it's, it's a little bit disappointing I think also no team knew what the deck was going to be like no one had I a think clue. we all knew it was going to be okay because of the cooler temperature it was high it was higher than they expected that's what it was I mean how often do you see a free stop at Spa didn't most of them do a two stop Two stops, it was three only, stops. It was only Lewis who did a free stop. I think everyone else did a... I'm sure Lewis and Lando. A... Lewis and Lando were the only one who free stopped. I think everyone else did a two. All right. I'm going to have to look this up because I'm sure there were more. Lewis definitely did it because he got the cheeky fastest lap point. Just one in the eye for Max, wasn't it? A direct attack, that one, just to let you know that he's still there. What do you mean? Like the direct attack of, oh, oh, here's a racing incident. But we're going to get you... Uh, we're going to get a penalty here because <laughs> Perez is retired. I'm sorry, that was a racing incident and that was a ridiculous penalty. Yeah, so I've just looked it up. There are only three drivers who did three stops in the entire race. Still three stops. And that was Albon, 
Sargent and Lewis. So so Lando didn't even do three no, stops. He just did two. It looked like he was going to free stop in the end. They just did a mega run on the soft tyres. And this is what I couldn't understand. Which is why was, I thought seemed, Deg was low. This is what I couldn't understand because Deg, it seemed, was re- everyone on the soft tyre, sorry, on the medium tyre, pitted really early. And then you had Gasly on soft tyres who went for like half the race distance. I wonder if the cooler temperatures, maybe the medium was never actually getting into a window where it could be effective. Well, it seemed like weight was the issue itself. But it felt like the uh, the full fuel tanks seemed to, I mean, it always does imp- increase the deg, but it seemed to be much more severe, it felt, this time around. These Pirelli tyres are weird, aren't they? Sometimes you've got some that are quicker, some that are slower, but it doesn't always go in compound order beyond about three or four laps or so, seemingly. That'll be that sometimes the me- the a, a used soft might be quicker than a used medium, or a used medium might be slower than a used hard. It's very, uh, really doesn't make that much sense. Just trying to think um, what could contribute to it, but it definitely, in my opinion, it makes sense that we have a tyre war. I was about, to, this it was about to be the words out of my mouth, is do you think it's time that, the problem with a tyre war is that the FAA are being so strict to Pirelli about what they want. Because this isn't Pirelli's creations, these current tyre compounds. These are the FAA going to Pirelli, build us a tyre that does exactly this or as close to this as possible, and Pirelli building that tyre. What I actually think is I think the FAA needs to give Pirelli a bit more freedom to give us some tyres with some more extremes. I know that when they first came into the sport, we had a couple of races. There was a Silverstone race, wasn't there, where tyres were exploding left, right and centre. Which obviously Yeah, that was a want. long time ago. Yeah, that which was we don't 2013? Want. Yeah, I was thinking it's either 2013 or 2014, wasn't it? It was a long time ago, but obviously there needs to be some boundaries. But there has to be a middle ground somewhere between what we have now and what we had when Pirelli first came in. Because if we stay with the status quo of right now, then there is no point at all in having a tyre war because the two companies will only be allowed to produce exactly the same tyres. Yeah, I, know, I think I just think a tyre war would improve things. I think it could really mix things up. So, like in any track, you know, certain things will cert- suit certain characteristics of other cars. Yeah. Right now, it might be if you never have someone to catch Red Bull is having a a tyre war in tyres that suit better on a track than the ones that Red Bull were running. Uh, because at the moment they look, uh, well, they are uncatchable. Um, one of them is very uncatchable. The other one is catchable, but purely because he's got nothing on the other one. Uh, of course, I, I'm saying that Verstappen has completely got Perez's number. Oh, it, it's, it, I mean, it, this was a. Can we, can we sum it him. up with what Helmut Marco said this week on Thursday? I don't know if you've heard this quote. What was it? Sergio Perez has woken up from his world championship dream and re-entered the world of the living. <laughs> Which wow. is what a way that that's a dry that's your that's your employee. Imagine imagine saying that's your employee. And that was apparently what his third place in Hungary was. It was Perez waking up from the dream of world championship where he's been dreaming ever since Miami where he finished second to Verstappen. There was a further comment about Miami as well, which just... I mean, it happened again. Oh. 
Yeah, it was. It was a very similar race to Miami. Verstappen starts back in the pack. Perez takes the lead or or takes the lead early on in the race. And then Verstappen just passes him and drives away. Well, let's talk the race. Of course, there was the the events of Turn 1 in the race. Uh, If you're Australian, uh, first of all, g'day. Uh, Second of all, imagine... uh, I think it's easy to imagine how Oscar Piastri felt because it looked like, you know, he was 2-0 up, clean sailing in front of him, and then it was all taken away from him, just like that, by a, a lock-up of Carlos Sainz, you know. A lock-up, and then a very severe turn. To turn very severe turn, yeah. If Lewis is it's, getting two penalty points for his collision with Perez in the sprint race, then surely Sainz is getting something Yeah. off the I back mean, of that. For Piastri, it's got to be uh, it's got to be like blowing a two 0 lead in the ashes, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, if anyone's wondering, we're recording this after Monday's play, not after Sunday's play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, frustrating, but again, that's motor racing. You're judged off your last drive, and the record will show that Piastri was the first to retire. Um, <laughs> That's a, no, a very harsh way of saying it. That's a very harsh way. I mean, also the fact I think it was also harsh was Carlos Sainz said it was Piastri's fault. Which I don't understand. If it had been that there was exactly a car or maybe a car and a half swip gap between Sainz's car and the wall, then yeah, yeah you, you could abortion blame that Piastri was too far back to go last of the late breakers in that situation with the way the corner works. But if you look at the onboard from Piastri, he's got almost three quarters of the track, if not 18, 85% of the track to go that, to aim at on the inside. And I thought he was also quite cautious. Yeah, I thought he was as well. And I thought that he was cautious because he saw science locking up and thought, oh, that guy is, might need to take some avoiding action. He just didn't expect him to turn hard right long before the corner actually started. It was like, what am I going to hit, Hamilton or Piastri? It was, what am I going to hit, Hamilton or Piastri? But I feel like there was a less certain chance of him hitting Piastri because Piastri was behind him, from his perception. He avoided Hamilton and, uh, yeah, just went to where Piastri was going. Yeah, because the error is in the lockup. The error is not necessarily in the avoiding action that was then taken. It's, 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 it's started with the chain of events of one that led to the other. And the problem is when you lock up in a, in a corner like that, of course... You end up, you are naturally going to carry more speed into it. You are going to go deep because you come off the brakes to release the lock yeah. up, and or you do just completely destroy the tire. <laughs> uh, I think science on reflection would choose destroying the tire. Oh, yeah. Or maybe you could uh, just not brake at all, and maybe if you took out Max, we would have had an interesting race. Max, who was behind him at the time, Max was very sensible, just stayed well out the way, stayed to the outside. Yeah, a couple of honourable first lap mentions while we're on the race start. Alex Albon and Yuki Tsunoda. If you haven't seen their two starts, avoided all the trouble. Both of them went wide around the outside. Both of them got clear runs out of the corner. And both of them, I think they were sixth and eighth when they went up to the first lap at, the first lap at Le Com, up at turn five, six, seven. Yuki Tsunoda uh, had an absolute brilliant race. Probably, his, uh, I would say his best race of the season. And I tell you what, after this sprint race where Ricardo for a while looked like he was going to be threatening points, he was in ninth for a long time, 
And it was only the dried up conditions at the end of the race that really done for him. Sonoda was 16th, 17th, all the, all the way through that sprint race. Sonoda needed a race like that to remind the team and to remind the fans and the Red Bull management, as well as his own AlphaTauri management, that I'm still here and I can be quick. Someone will pick up Sonoda if he doesn't get a Red Bull seat. Uh, I still feel like it's Ricardo's for taking. I felt like Ricardo had a very good sprint race, was on the cusp of points. And then also, it felt like at points, it felt like at points uh, on Sunday, he could have scored points. It was so hard to predict what was going on in that bottom half of the field with uh, with the pit stops. Of course, Lando undercutting half the grid without even knowing it um, and doing it with no straight line speed. So I watched the race on a catch up, but I did watch the whole thing. And it was Lando getting overtaken left, right and centre. Um, even getting after the race, he was getting digs from the drivers. He was getting digs from George Russell, getting digs from Alex Albon well, about were, it. They were just they were like, are you OK, mate? Yeah. He's like, what, what happened? It's like, we heard you had a steering issue. It's like, no, didn't have a steering issue. It was just slow. We had too much downforce. Yeah, that was an, amazing that he held on for seventh. Um, he had Esteban Ocon all over the back of him for the last few laps. He just couldn't catch him in time. Again, a race where you think that maybe the confidence and the driver talent of Lando has actually just naturally come through to actually salvage something from the weekend where a couple of months ago, even if they'd had that situation where they were on the soft and the soft lasted, you just wouldn't see them getting that high into the points. That's true. But I just want to go back to what we were saying. Yuki Snow is best driver of the season. Um, but also, it's amazing. Once again, though, only 10th. Yeah, obviously... Is it four or five tenths places he's had this season for his points in the for his uh, for his yeah. points in the grid? Obviously, he would have had the ninth place at Spain, but he got very harshly done by after his coming together with one of the uh, Haas drivers. It seems like they are just punishing racing incidents this year consistently. It happened in Spain to Yuki, it happened in a sprint race to Hamilton today, yeah. uh, or, or Saturday even. Yeah, but um, but as you say, Yuki, brilliant drive, brilliant drive. While we're on the AlphaTauri team, there was also a moment, well, while we sort of linked these two topics, uh, Daniel Ricciardo went round the outside of Lando Norris in an AlphaTauri. <laughs> it was a brilliant move, to be fair to Danny Rick. Oh, the album move as well. No, sorry, not album, Lando. Yeah, that's who I said. Daniel, Daniel Ricciardo went round the outside of Lando. No, Lando went round the outside of um, someone on the soft tyres. That was turns six and seven. Around the outside, on traffic. That's what I thought you were talking about. I was a bit confused. I think think it was around the outside of Sargent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so I was talking about when Ricardo went around the outside of Norris, which was just (laughs) baffling to see. Ocon made some brilliant overtakes. Yeah, he did. Um, Good little drive from uh, SD Bestie. (laughs) As as he liked to call him, as he christened himself, I think, uh, on the Monaco podium. On the Monaco podium. Um, been a quiet few races for him, and especially with Pierre taking the plaudits on the sprint race, finishing third. And especially Purely after, by luck. Especially after the weekend that that team, well, the week preceding that that team had had, and the horrific timing of that from the senior management at Alpine. Surely if you're going to announce that, your head of, is it sporting director is Alan Pimain there? Or technical director? Technical um, director. Sorry, like, um, yeah, you're, but you're anyway, Alan Pimain's going. And your team manager, 
in Osmar-Massafna are both going from your team. Surely, if you're one week from the summer break where you've got four weeks where the media can forget about it, you don't announce it on the Friday when the the team managers are about to go into a press conference the, and um, drop it on them. Uh, that is as well. But also, they've lost Pat Fry to Williams. And Pat Fry has been in that team for years. So has Alan Permain as well. So. And Otmar said, what was it? I think it was, at, was it before Silverstone? He did an interview and he said, we are building something here. We, we, we're hiring, I've, since I've come in, half of the staff that I've hired can't start until the start of 2024 because of the gardening leave rules, because of the rules about bringing secrets from other teams, because of having to allow for that development. He said, we just need longer. And obviously the Alpine bosses, don't agree and well uh, he's got to remember that Alpine are currently in the seventh year of a three-year plan but they are also only on race 40 of 100 I think it was what Otmar said (laughs) (laughs) we have a we have a three-year plan I'm sorry like they've been saying it for like seven years now at Team Insto yeah it was it was a hundred race plan and I think it was uh at the last race at Hungary they were on race 40 of a hundred race plan (laughs) <laughs> which <laughs> well what so what they're saying is we're going to be competitive in four to five seasons time oh for goodness sake well what they're aiming for is to win races in 2026 and go in as a lead as a lead person isn't it do you think on a personal level for Otmar I can't see him being picked up by any other Formula One teams that the rate that he is being dropped and passed on passed around the merry-go-round I well, it's I not. He he wasn't dropped. Alpine. He was he was acquired, wasn't he, by Alpine? No, but he he chose to leave. He said the church can only have one pope, and Lawrence Stroll is their pope. <laughs> when he came to Aston Martin. Yeah, before Aston Martin, he was. Fourth India, which Fourth Aston India. Martin was. Oh before. yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. I just. I just. And he had success at Fourth India. They were. I just feel like good. he's lost his way a bit. I think a break, at least a break from Formula One team ownership. Go and be the team manager of a WEC. Go and find some success in a... Uh, I feel like one of these new teams, if they, if they are successful, might take him on in an advisory role. He knows the business. Same with Alan Pemain. Alan Pemain's knowledge is over, 30, what, 34 years? He'll get picked up by someone. Yeah, as an advisor, rather just than not by, perhaps not, the... Yeah, just not by Prost. <laughs> what was it he called him? Incompetent. Well... What if Alan Pemain bought that, if, if we go back in the history of that outfit, I don't know if he was there when they won it as Benetton in the early 90s. Yeah, I for, yeah he was. 34 was he? years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then he won two championships with Fernando, 05, yeah. Was very competitive when Kimi was there. Yeah, good point. What, when Kimi nearly made them go bankrupt? <laughs> because they gave him a contract that was, uh, yeah. A points per race deal expecting him to score something like 50 points and he was well in the hundreds <laughs> yeah he, he didn't take money Kimmy was that good that's he's like no i can't take this money no he he went to sue them for court for it and they settled for a lesser amount <laughs> yeah he, he, he was a good human being Kimmy. my favorite one was kim kimmy talking about weight at the numbers it's like oh well, i wanted six but nico i knew nico wanted six so i just took seven the kind of guy that kimmy rifling is but back to the alpine situation I'm sure if, if we do a summer of pod, we can discuss it more in depth. But 
they needed points this weekend. And I know it's only a sprint race, but and I know the conditions played into their hands with the way that the pit stops work out and everything. But he had charging Mercedes behind him, charging Ferraris behind him. He had a Red Bull behind him and a McLaren behind him. And Gasly held them off on Saturday's race. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it was important for them to get points. And over the weekend, they were... Um... Once again, outscored by McLaren. So that went well. Yeah, was it two? I think before this weekend, they had two points in the last four races, four race weekends, and none for the last two, because obviously the double DNF in Hungary and... Yeah, I, I think you can try and just up a, success, a successful weekend on track for them, but, it, it, you know, their, bit, their main competitor in the championship still outscored them. Oh, no, I don't think... I don't see McLaren as their main competitor anymore. McLaren are over the hill. I think the best they can hope for now is sixth place. Yeah, and if they, they can't get caught. And I don't see any of the Alpha Tauri, the Alpha Romeo, the, the back of the grid teams. Maybe their biggest threat for sixth place is now Williams. If Williams can fluke a couple of results at a Monza, a Qatar, a, maybe a top five, a top six somewhere. I don't know. Do you really feel that Williams have it in them to gain 46 points over Alpine? The way Alpine is at the moment, Alpine could pull themselves together or Alpine could implode. Still convinced that Ocon and Gasly are going to have a coming together of their own making at some point. I'm sorry, but the thing is, the car is still the car. The car is still good in a way. Um, I know. I think if anyone's going to catch anyone, it could be McLaren catching Ferrari. And that's because, you know, if the team's going to implode, Ferrari is usually the ones that will do it. I mean, but let's just, let's just remind ourselves that once again... Max Verstappen won off his second favourite position, which is a Charles Leclerc pole. <laughs> That's pretty much his favourite position, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so if Max doesn't win off a Max pole, Max wins off a Charles pole. Oh. And, um, I mean, Leclerc now has a pole-to-win percentage of 20%. Shockingly bad. You could, you could almost expect that in NASCAR or, or IndyCar, but not in Formula 1. Leclerc said it himself, to put in those pole position laps, he has to drive over the limit of what he feels the car is capable. He has to push beyond anything that he feels the car is capable of. And you can't do that for a race distance. You can only do that for one or two laps. Otherwise, you will crash if you're lucky. It's one or two laps. Yeah. I'm just trying to think if there's anyone we haven't covered, anyone who deserves an honourable mention. Um, Honourable mention for being shit. The Haas Formula One team as a whole for the whole fucking weekend. What are you doing? Poor Nico Hulkenberg didn't even get a lap What are you doing? (laughs) I do not understand. Didn't get a lap in in either qualifying. I don't know how they got that that, that wrong. Yeah, Um, from their strategy to the car itself, it didn't look quick in any practice session. I know it was wet conditions, but we saw that car qualify on pole in Brazil last year in the wet. So, yeah, obviously we saw that car under the hands of Magnussen get a pole position in the wet last year. And it's an evolution of last year's car, so the car shouldn't be totally crap. Just a mess from start to finish, from strategy, from setup, from organisation. The drivers didn't do anything spectacular to save the situation. Was Magnussen even there this weekend? I mean, he finished ahead of Hulkenberg. No, um, no, no. I mean, it's in terms of like Hulkenberg was noticeable because he didn't get lap times in and things like that. But Magnussen, just anonymous. 
anonymously out the points, he was um, he was the end of career Adrian Sutil. <laughs> yeah, he was Jolie and Palmer. <laughs> I know because Jolie and Paul Palmer was always there because he was always retiring before the race started or crashing or or doing something mm. or annoying Alonso, you know. Um, I um, thought on Sunday, good drives from Lewis and Fernando. Lewis, Fernando, Sonoda, Ocon, Verstappen, yeah, um, obviously. Bad drives, I would say, signs, you know, yeah. cause the accident. <laughs> Perez, I put him in the bad drive pile just because he's, he got ahead of Leclerc early, had a chance to build a gap and could not build a gap to Verstappen. I think that's just the difference between them, isn't it? It's, it's that, unfortunately. Um, Verstappen was in traffic and stuck behind Hamilton. It yeah. wasn't until Hamilton dropped off Leclerc and the DRS chain broke that he he, he was actually going to, you know, easily get past. I, I'm going to put Leclerc in the good drive pile. Yeah, I don't I don't want to be accused of picking on him. But no, no, I, no, 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 not for, not he, for Leclerc. Leclerc. Leclerc is very good drive. But I was going to say, surely if you're George Russell, pressure is starting to build a couple of. Not necessarily shocking errors, not necessarily awful races, but just I think it's is it five of the last six Grand Prix he's now been behind Hamilton by at least three places. Which that and that, also it was a it was a bad decision to go for more downforce. Well, if it had been a wet weekend, he finishes third behind Verstappen and Norris, or Verstappen and Piastri, and everyone's calling it a genius move. I so don't think if so. It had been a cool, if it had been a very wet race on the Sunday. I don't think. I think Hamilton was still good on, you know, the low downfall setting set up in the white rain. I don't think that would have made a difference. Maybe. With Russell starting what tenth in qual uh, on Sunday. I don't know. Yeah, the the pressure is building, young George, and you need to pull a result out of the bag when you come when we come back to Vanport and to Monza. Mm. But what I am going to say is. One final good thing of good news. Um, how great was it to see Papa Perez back enjoying the podium? <laughs> oh, it was lovely, wasn't it? It was lovely. Papa Perez. Smiley, happy, delighted to see his son using all of the drug cartel's money to good use. Wow. <laughs> it was... There, there were moments when... Um, this weekend where you you see the difference of uh of how certain fathers feel about this of course papa perez is actually punching the air with his son in uh second place having been completely outclassed in the race then you have the camera cutting to jos verstappen when max scraped through qualifying two looked like he wanted to you know punch someone and uh, when, in the sprint race, when Max was behind Piastri for like two laps, it was like, OK, Jos, calm down. He's going to get him. He's going to be faster. Just just calm down. A man that's clearly very hard to please. While we're on the subject of Max Verstappen's relationships, bit of needle on the radio between him and JP I, across I, the weekend. Wh- I, I think that this is the, one of the very few things that keeps this season watchable because he's out there at the front. There's no competition. What you need is some sassy Jean-Pierre Lambiassi. <laughs> Just listen to me, darling. I will sort it for you. <laughs> Not sure that was a good idea, was it, Max? <laughs> <laughs> oh, for 
gonna say. And then um, what was it? Uh, Max, your deck was higher than please, expected. Yeah, higher than expected. Please look after the tires. Max Verstappen fastest lap. Uh, I, I I I could I could build a gap, and, and we could pit again. Some picked up some pit stop practice, and he's like, no, we Not didn't appreciate time. that last time. No, no, he said not. He said I think they appreciated last time. He just said not this time. There's too right. much to risk. And I, he said not this yeah. time, didn't he? Yeah, something like that. He did nearly drop it over Stappen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine? Safety car, Perez fucks the restart. Then we've got a race on our hands for the first time in. <laughs> it, it doesn't. It doesn't need Perez to mess up a restart. It just. Uh, it just needs not Verstappen for it to be a race. Well, no, it's a um, it's a race for second. Perez comfortably won as much as you were just saying it's still not enough. I watched the race with a friend and he said when they said, oh, Verstappen is in a league of his own. I'm like, he said he's not in a league of his own. He's in a car of his own. And if you put Hamilton, Alonso, Leclerc in equal machinery to Verstappen, we would have one hell of a season. Unfortunately, but, but that we don't. Be, but that wouldn't be Formula One. Equal uh, equal performing machinery, not the same machinery. Just imagine if those cars were as fast as the Red Bull. Yeah, but but this that's, this that's is, for them to de- develop their cars to be as fast yeah, within the rules that are set. He, he, he's right that he he was right in, in principle. He said what he said. He was like, yeah, it makes exact. It makes perfect sense if those cars were faster. I don't think. I feel that those three drivers could cha- and have challenged Verstappen. But we are, just for me and you, for example, we are lifelong Formula One fans who've grown up with it. When have we ever had four cars that under equal conditions are of a similar pace over a race distance? Like, 2012. First half of 2012. Was the first half of 2012 the fact they were all equal? Or the fact that there were chaotic incidents, freak weathers and freak results no the first, the first half of 2012 was pretty you're talking about when we normal. had seven winners in seven, seven races. winners in seven races pastor maldonado won a race on merit for the kids who don't know who pastor maldonado is look it up <laughs> the kids might know but the streets will never forget oh. imagine if we just had him to run into verstappen when he's being lapped or something just like just, just spinning him off in the wall in the pit wall maybe off the uh off the final chicane so nobody gets hurt <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking I was going to say the streets will never forget Pastor Maldonado and that's because he dented every single barrier on said streets <laughs> oh god right uh, I think we should end it there yes um, just of course say thank you to our show sponsor apextracks.com who for all your 3D printed track wall art needs they are the people to go to and their website is apextracks.com a-p-e-x-t-r-a-x-s dot com until next time, thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed listening, check the link in the bio of the podcast. Um, Pastor Mile Nairo, if you're listening, we're sorry. It was only a joke. Um, Australians, if, you, if you're listening, <laughs> it was only a joke. But at the same time, you know, you blew the ashes. So, uh, well, man, they keep the ashes, don't they? They keep the ashes. They, yeah, I'm sorry. Keeping it by drawing. It's a bit like, you know, keeping a world championship after breaking the cost cap and uh, negotiating <laughs> your own penalty. Uh, um. Yeah, uh, enjoy the summer break, everyone. Enjoy the summer four, break. Four weeks without a race. What are four we going to do? Four weeks without a race and currently shocking weather. Uh, so, yeah. That's why <laughs> I'm try... going on holiday. <laughs> He's going on holiday and I'm not. I'm working. Um, 
but <laughs> you know tim's lucky I, i'm not um but we'll try and bring out some podcasts in the summer break to fill the void uh, but until next time thank you very much for listening cheerio guys <laughs>